Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So here we are around this table, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, We're coming to the end of a series that was called Let Us Build This House, and a chance for us to vision and dream about parts of a house and what's important. And it began with a door, which I shared on that day about this door that was the church door that became my headboard and my bed. And thinking about the doors in our life, we did a little bit on the color of doors and what it meant to the psychology of who you are, the color of your door. And then turning to Jesus says, I am the door, I am the gateway. And then thinking about how that's part of our language, about slamming doors, closing doors, walking out doors, and doorways and an invitation to a new beginning. Then we moved along to windows where I shared that I was a garbage man and found these windows and my mother refinished them for me and they hang in my house, not quite yet, but are going to hang in my house. But how windows are, uh, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul and they help us to see the world, but also for the world to see in. And so we spent some time on that Sunday looking at uh, some silence. Um, And then you invited us to foyer. Why'd you pick foyer? Yeah, I invited us to cross the threshold of where the door was into the entrance of our homes, into the entrance of this place. What does it mean to actually arrive in a space? I told you the story of the laughing Jesus picture that hung in the hallway of the home that I grew up in and how uh, Jesus invites us to enter into spaces or circumstances with one another by blessing those places or people with peace before we even get there. I love that. You know, that week I I actually tried a couple of times before I entered in to just say, peace be to this house. And it's funny how when you say that, it changes your uh, approach to who you're going to meet and what you might encounter. Then last week we looked at fire and talked about the fire. There's a burning bush over here. Uh, The fire of prophecy that slams like a hammer. The resurrection story of uh, post-Easter, Jesus lighting a fire and having a barbecue with the disciples to say, okay, if you didn't get the point, let me tell you now. It was kind of an opportunity to teach once again. And how fire is something that, you know, we haven't lit these candles, but there'd be a temptation to want to touch it. And, oh, there you go. Uh, and play with it. I will be gone for a long time. If I'm ADHD, look out. Um, but how fire is so important to us when we see fire, how we're drawn to it and how it is probably pre-conscious. There was a great article in the paper this week about the election of uh, Premier uh, Canoe in, uh, in Manitoba. Did anybody hear this story about an indigenous, first indigenous premier in Canada? Yeah. Well, just quickly, there's something about fires. Now, it came out after the sermon, which is really too bad, but that's the way sermons work. You guys finish them throughout the week. We do part of a sermon, but it comes alive in your living. And talking about how fires in indigenous culture is so important, and in the the Anishwabi people, there are seven fires, and the first one to three are the fires that were lit pre-contact with settlers. Uh, And then the fourth was about the meeting of the white-skinned people, and that fourth fire was a warning. Will it be peace and harmony or will it be suffering and death? And so the residential school and the Indian Act in some ways symbolized that the latter was chosen. Then the fifth and sixth fire of these people is about salvation from a prophet and a warning about whether sickness and death will come or whether life will return to the land. 
And then the seventh fire for the indigenous people is the rise of the young who will start to look to the past for the wisdom. And they're saying that his election as premier is the eighth fire as an opportunity for harmony between the settlers and indigenous people. When I saw that, I thought that was so beautiful to think about what the fire means and then what it means present day, not just in the past, but present day. But here we are at this table and some people will be uh, preparing food, hopefully sharing in the preparation of that food that it doesn't land on one person. But it's, uh, the kitchen table is so central to our lives. Anybody here from Newfoundland? Oh, that's a problem for us. <laughs> Go find it. Oh, yeah, yeah, you see, traveler. The Newfoundland people know a kitchen party. If you've never been to one, it's one of the highlights of great music in the kitchen. But it's funny how when we have people over, inevitably, we all are drawn to the kitchen, whether it's helping prepare, or clean up, or have conversations. And the kitchen is often central to our homes. And even the way homes are built now, they're one big room so that we can all be in that kitchen. But when I think about Thanksgiving and kitchen, I think of two key words that come to me, and they are awe and gratitude. And awe is, is like our breath. <gasps> and everybody's done that when you've seen something that takes your breath away. A friend of mine said this in a text this week. He said, there's a proverb. It says, stand at the foot of the mountain and tell the mountain how great you are. <laughs> Go stand before a mountain and say, look how great I am. Right? <laughs> but also about how awe is something that's natural in our life, like our breath. And I saw a, a TED talk this past week about awe, and this uh, speaker at a convocation address at Duke University was inviting the graduates to have awe as they leave into the world, that they hope that the, the students will encounter awe, things that take their breath away, that through their mind and their heart and their body, they experience awe. And awe in the Bible is central. Sometimes it's translated fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of faith, but really it's awe. Awe of God is the beginning of faith. And so awe, if you think of it as the beginning of faith, it makes me kind of wonder, so when have you experienced awe? And so when have you experienced awe? So when I, um, when I think of the word awe, the feeling that accompanies it for me is one of feeling small um, and not in an insignificant way at all, but in one that kind of puts the vastness and the mystery of God or the universe into perspective for me. And I think of um, the scientist Carl Sagan, who writes that uh, everything that you could ever encounter, every person you could ever encounter, every hero or every coward, every celebrity, every leader, every relationship you've been in, every heartbreak, anything, any dream, anything that you could encounter is right here. He writes, on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. And that to me is that sense of awe that we are so small in the midst of such vast mystery and love. So an example of awe for me, um, whether it's awesome or awful, and I think that those two things are so closely tied together, um, it's really that sense of being dwarfed by this immense power of love and creation. So I think of um, this past summer, I was lucky enough to be um, in Budapest, and I stood on the banks of the Danube River um, and saw the Holocaust Memorial of all of the shoes lined up along mm. the side of the river. And it was something so awful and yet 
the love that was involved in this remembering and the way that we were all connected, I, I found awesome and awful. It made, me, it made me feel small in a way that was so significant. Um, I think of watching friends who have just become mothers, uh, that transformation of birthing life, that is awesome. Um, I think about people who are in recovery, who are celebrating sobriety, uh, the resilience and the grace in that. There is so much awe. And your question was, when was the last time I experienced it? Mm -hmm. And last night, I was so delighted to go with a handful of people from this congregation to a Michael W. Smith concert here in Calgary. If you don't know who Michael W. Smith is, it's either you're too young or you never went to vacation Bible camp. But the last time I honestly used the word awe was last night, and I have a video I want to show you, so prepare for the nostalgia, okay? happens when we come together and sing whether Michael W. Smith is your cup of tea or not. Uh, it was very awesome. John, uh, what, where does awe go for you? Awe goes to Shirley. Who's uh, Shirley? Shirley. Uh, last Saturday, I don't know why, what time, I think it was late, late early evening, I was at Safeway and I was getting my stuff and I, I don't like going through where they do the, I like doing it myself. So I was the <laughs> self-serve guy. I'm going through my stuff, and I said to the lady who was standing there, who I discovered is named Shirley, I said, it's awful quiet tonight. She said, yeah. And I said, food is so expensive. And she said, yeah. And then she said to me, I, there's a guy going to come in here later tonight. He comes in, and he buys seven uh, TV dinners every week, and he goes home. She said, Shirley said, tonight, when he comes in, I'm going to see him. I'm going to rush over to the produce and I'm gonna get some produce and some fruit and bundle it up and I'm gonna pay for it and give it to him with his TV dinners. And I was in total awe yeah. that That's she would beautiful. do this and she would provide this great gift. She was giddy uh, with excitement about helping somebody out that she didn't even know his name, but knew what he did every Saturday buying TV dinners and now produce. So that was awesome. I was like, you are amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. awesome. So, you know, the other word that's th that about Thanksgiving, I don't know if you'll, you'll do it at your house, but we do it at ours, is take a time at the table as a grace of saying, what are you grateful for? And it's really not to have to conjure it up, but to share that story because each of us experience gratitude in a different way. And so uh, when, you, when you think about gratitude, what are you grateful for? So I have um, gratitude, something that I feel a lot of in my life, but only because I've made it a spiritual practice. Um, I have a friend of mine, and for the past three years, we have what we call gratitude hour. And at the end of every night, we text each other three things that we're grateful for. And this was a practice that we started because gratitude felt really hard at one point in my life. And I felt like what I had to be grateful for were either too small and they weren't worthy of gratitude, or they were 
too big and I, I couldn't find any. And so we started this practice and I'm just gonna share with you what I shared with her last night. Uh, three things I was grateful for was worshiping with friends. Uh, last night was such a blessing to be in that room. Um, managing to sleep in past 7.30, that is something I was immensely grateful for. And allowing myself to be moved when I was moved. There are not very many places in this world where I feel safe enough to feel all of my emotions. And I am really grateful for the places where I can do that. Awesome. Grateful. Grateful. Uh, you know, there's so many things, but for me, I want to talk about briefly the funeral that uh, we led on uh, Tuesday for Donna Denemy, who sat up in the choir for many years. It was, she put together her service. Like, she literally had picked the music, picked the scripture, picked the speakers. Her fingerprints were all over her service. So I recommend to you, if you got nothing to do sometime this week, write your service. It was so beautiful to write her service. Mine's in my computer. Somebody knows how to find it. Uh, you got to do this because you are saying what's important to you at the end of your life. So to be part of a service that she created to celebrate and honor her and most importantly, the faith that was cultivated from her beginning in a Pentecostal community to being uh, a person who died of cancer at 71. Uh, you could see in her sharing of her life, deep gratitude for the people that have been part of her life. But also someone who did a eulogy said this, you know, she had a challenging life. She had two marriages that ended. She got cancer and through it all, uh, Psalm 139, God was present to her in the highs and lows of life. And uh, in my reflection, I said, you know, I believe it's like God protects us from nothing, but is present in everything. And God was deeply present in Donna's life. And uh, to see that and know that, that she would nod and said, yes, I had lots of hard times. And when I look back, God was present and in the good times too. So there's a sense that, you know, gratitude isn't just the happy things, but ultimately what I'll say is a new learning for me, a belief in the doctrine of providence. Mm. The doctrine of providence says this, that you believe that God has been a careful presence in the highs and lows of life. And if I have to hang my hat on one thing, that's all I know, it's that. That in my look at my life, the highs and lows, God's been present in the peaks and in the valleys. And when you look back and then you move forward, you, you go with the assurance of the providence into the future. And so for me, providence is what I'm so grateful for. Awesome. So I don't know why you're where you are with awe or gratitude, that's your daydream, that's your opportunity today. But here we are at this table, and this table is such a gift uh, for people in homes or picnic benches. You know, Jesus was someone who ate with people by the water on the top of the mountain in their homes, and food and faith go together, and this communion table and this table are one and the same. And I know you talked to uh, some of our kid space folks last week, so it's kind of over to you on this one. Well, it's over to me in the past and over to, over to our next gen, actually. So we're going to invite you to turn your attention to a conversation we had last week downstairs about communion. Hi, everyone. I don't know all of you, but my name is Andrea. Andrea Irwin. Andrea Irwin, thank you. And on Sundays, I normally sit up at the front or stand up at the front and do lots of talking. So I'm very excited to be here with you today. Um, because you have lots of fun down here. So I've always been very jealous. So thank you for having me. I want you to turn around and say hi to my friend Chad. Chad's at the back. Hi, Chad. We're here to have a conversation about communion. Does anyone know anything about communion? Put up your hand. Okay, a few of you. 
Okay, what, what is communion? What do you know about communion? No wrong yeah. answers. Communion for me is when they play calm music and they share drinks for soup. That's really beautiful. Um, what? Who else? Who knows something about communion? Yeah, what about you? It's when you all gather to eat together. Yes, it's when you all gather to eat together. Awesome. Um, it's where um, Jesus um, went for his last supper and he broke the bread and said, this is my body. Amazing. Thank you. Who else? Communion is when we sit uh, at a table we stand and we like food and stuff. Yeah. Sometimes crackers or bread or something. Yeah. And then we all sit and we talk to each other. Yeah. And we just be there. And you just be there. And you just be there. Embrace the love. You just be there and embrace the love, absolutely. So you actually all know a lot about communion, and I think there's lots of people upstairs that can learn from you. But we're gonna tell the story together today so that we know it even better. So what are the two things, or sometimes three, that we usually serve when we have communion together? Yeah, one, just name one. Sometimes crackers. Yeah, what else do we serve? After the service. Sometimes um, I get uh, a little piece of the bread. Sometimes you get a piece of the big loaf, right? Yeah. What else? Um, we get grape juice after the Yes, we totally get grape juice. Sometimes it's like, wait, I have a question. Yeah. Um, like, do you ever, because I was noticing that you had the communion little packets. Yeah. And then after you had like, the rice crackers and trays and then you yeah. Yeah. So you said something really, really important, and that's that communion changes sometimes. You want to know why? Because the very first time that communion was ever shared, they simply used the food that they had. Do any of you know what happens on Palm Sunday? Yeah. Uh, Jesus goes to Yes, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Sometimes Jesus is on a donkey. Yeah, what else happens? Yeah, they wave palm leaves. So Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. You're totally correct. And the reason is because Jesus was a part of the Jewish faith and they were celebrating something called the Passover meal. So they all went to Jerusalem to celebrate this really, really special meal together. And Jesus knew that this was probably going to be the last time he saw his disciples because he was in the process of being arrested for preaching all of the things that he preached. The people in power did not want Jesus saying all of these things. And Jesus knew that it was not looking good for him. So he decided that he was going to celebrate this last beautiful sacred meal with his closest friends. And the meal they were celebrating was the Passover. And what's interesting is that the Passover didn't actually have bread that looked like this. They didn't serve bread like this. They served bread called matzo. This is a bread that the Jewish people made. It kind of looks like this, and it's called unleavened bread. And it means they made bread like this very specially because when they had to leave Egypt long, long, long ago, they did it in such a hurry that they didn't have time for the bread to sit in the oven 
and get nice and big and fluffy. They had to just take it and go. And so forever from that point on, they celebrated the fact that they had been set free and that they made it out of that horrible time in their lives by eating this bread that was unleavened. So it's more likely than a loaf like this that there was bread that looked like this on the table when Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his friends. When we gather for communion, what we have most in our communities is bread that looks like this. And it's pretty ordinary. But the story of communion, as so many of you have pointed out, is really symbolic. We say that this is Jesus' body. And we say that this is Jesus' spirit, Jesus did not have a very good end to his life. And he really, really, really wanted all of his friends to know that whatever happened, he would always be with them in spirit. And so they met together for this very last supper together. And not all of them knew it was the last supper, but Jesus wanted them to know that it was going to be really special. And he wanted to teach them a way to remember him always. And so he looked at the table and he asked himself, what is here that these people are going to always have, that they'll always be able to find? He took the loaf and in front of all of his friends, he broke it. And he says, this is what they're trying to do to me. This is what they're trying to do to me. But I want you to remember that whenever you are together, we are all together. And then he took this cup right here, something similar, and whatever liquid was on the table, maybe it was juice, maybe it was wine, maybe it was water, and he poured it into a cup. And he said, whenever you gather together and you have this, know that I am with you also. So what we do when we celebrate communion, we call it in the church a big fancy word, we call it a sacrament. Communion is a sacrament, and that means that it is a symbol that we can see with our own eyes of God's love that we so often think is invisible. But Jesus reminds us that when we get together with something like this, a piece of bread, and something like this, a big cup of juice, that Jesus is with us and that we remember we are never alone. And then we all eat communion together to remind ourselves of that. So I think we should celebrate communion together right now. What do you think? Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.